Hi and welcome to this latest podcast from 1914 to 1918war.com. In this episode, we are continuing our reading of Bruce Benn's father's Bullets and Billets. We're up to chapter 15. As always, please like, share, comment. It really helps the podcast. Chapter 15. Arrival of the Johnsons. Where did that one go? The first fragment dispatched. The Exodus. Where? Shortly after these events, we experienced rather a nasty time in the village. It had been decided, way back somewhere at headquarters, that it was essential to hold the village in a stronger way than we had been doing. More men were to be kept there, and a series of trenches dug in and around it, thus forming means for an adequate defence should disaster befall our frontline trenches, which lay out on a radius of about 500 yards from the centre of the village. This meant working parties at night, and a pretty considerable collection of soldiers lurking in cavities in various ruined buildings by day. Anyone will know that when a lot of soldiers congregate in a place, it's almost impossible to prevent someone or other being seen, or smoke from some fire showing, or even worse, a light visible at night from some imperfectly shuttered house. At all events, something or other gave the Bosch the tip, and we soon knew they had got their attention on our village. Each morning as we clustered round our little green table and had our breakfast, we invariably had about half a dozen rounds of 18-pounders crash around us with varying results, but one day, and all sat staring into the future, we suddenly caught sound of something on more corpulent lines arriving. That ponderous, slow, rotating whistle of a Johnson caught our well-trained ears, A pause, then a reverberating, hollow-sounding crumph. We looked at each other. Heavies, we all exclaimed. Look out, here comes another. And sure enough, there it was, that gargling crescendo of a whistle, followed by a mighty crash considerably nearer. We soon decided that our best plan was to get out of the house and stay in the ditch twenty yards away until it was over. A house is an unwholesome spot to be in when there's shelling about, Our funk hole was all right for whiz-bangs and other fireworks of that sort, but no use against these portmanteaux that they were now sending along. Well, to resume, they put 13 heavies into that village in pretty quick time. One old ruin was set on fire, and I felt the consequent results would be worse than just losing the building, as all the men in it had to rush outside and keep darting in and out through the flames and smoke, trying to save their rifles and equipment. After a bit, we returned into the house, a trifle prematurely, I'm afraid, as presently a very large line and explosive drainpipes landed close outside, and as we afterwards discovered, blew out a fair-sized duck pond in the road. We were all inside, and I think nearly everyone said a sentence which gave me my first idea for a fragment from France, a sentence which must have been said countless times in this war, i.e., Where did that one go? We were all inside the cottage now, 
with intent, staring faces looking outside through the battered doorway. There was something in the whole situation which struck me as so pathetically amusing that when the ardour of the Bosch had calmed down a bit, I proceeded to make a pencil sketch of the situation. When I got back to the billets the next time, I determined to make a finished wash drawing of the scene and send it to some paper or other in England. In due course, we got back to our billets, and the next morning I fished out my scanty drawing materials from my valise, and sitting at a circular table in one of the rooms at the farm, I did a finished drawing of where did that one go, occasionally looking through the windows onto a mountain of manure outside for inspiration. The next thing was to send it off. What paper should I send it to? I had had a collection of papers sent out to me at Christmas time from some one or other. A few of these were still lying about. A bystander was among them. I turned over the pages and considered for a bit whether my illustrated joke might be their line. I thought of several other papers, but on the whole concluded that the bystander would suit for the purpose. And so, having got the address off the cover, I packed up my drawing round a roll of old paper, enclosed it in brown paper, and put it out to be posted at the next opportunity. In due course, it went to the post, and I went to the trenches again, forgetting all about the incident. Next time in the trenches was full of excitement. We had done a couple of days of the endless mud, rain and bullet dodging work when suddenly one night we heard we were to be relieved and go elsewhere. Everyone then thought of only one thing. Where were we going? We all had different ideas. Some said we were bound for Ypres, which we heard at that time was a pretty warm spot. Some said La Basset was our destination. Warm, but not quite so much as Ypres. Wild rumours we were going to Egypt were of course around, they always are. There was another beauty, that we were going back to England for a rest. The night after the news, another battalion arrived, and after handing over our trenches, we started off on the road to somewhere in France. It was about 11.30pm before we'd handed over everything, and finally parted from those old trenches of ours. I said goodbye to our little perforated hovel, and set off with all my machine gunners and guns for the road behind the wood, to go goodness knows where. We looked back over our shoulders several times as we plodded along down the muddy road and into the corduroy path which ran through the wood. There behind us lay Saint-Event, under the moonlight and drifting clouds, a silhouetted mass of ruins beyond the edge of the wood. Still the same old intermittent crackling of rifle shots and the occasional star-shell, it was quite sad parting with that old, evil-smelling, rain-smoked scene of desolation. We felt how comfortable we had all been there. Now we were leaving. And leaving for what? That was the question. When I reached the road and had superintended loading up on our limbers, I got instructions from the transport officer as to where we were to go. The battalion had already gone ahead, and the machine-gun section was the last to leave. We were to go down the road to Armentieres, and at about twelve midnight we started on our march, rattling off down the road leading to Armentieres, bound for some place we had never seen before. At about 2am we got there. Billets had been arranged for us, but at two in the morning it was no easy task to find the quarters allotted to us without the assistance of a guide. The battalion had got there first, had found their billets and had gone to bed. I and the machine gun section rattled over the cobbles into sleeping Armentieres and hadn't the slightest idea where we had to go. 
Nobody being about to tell us, we paraded the town like a circus procession for about an hour, before finally finding out where we were to billet, and ultimately we reached our destination when, turning into the barns allotted to us, we made the most of what remained of the night in well-earned repose. That's the end of chapter 15. Hope you enjoyed it. Bye.